0: You're listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. On today's episode, we sit down with Dr. Mishra Prasoon, who is the founder and CEO of Agility Pharmaceuticals. He is a serial entrepreneur who founded his first company after graduating high school and second company during his PhD. Since then, he has accumulated a wealth of experience by building, investing, and advising numerous other companies. He is also the founding president and CEO of the American Association for Precision Medicine, AAPM and his lead-in research efforts focused on preventing and curing chronic diseases. On today's episode, we'll talk about what is precision medicine? How is big data analytics, AI, and technology affecting the medical industry? Is the current process of drug discovery broken, and how could it be fixed? And in the future, with technology, will researchers be ahead of possible mutations? And with the new technology, what new skills will be required by health professionals? This and much more on today's episode. Silicon Valley. Welcome to the Silicon Valley podcast with your host, Sean Flynn, who interviews famous entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and leaders in tech. Learn their secrets and see tomorrow's world today. Dr. Prasoon, thank you for taking the time today to be on Silicon Valley. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for having me. Dr. Prasoon, can you give us a little bit of background of your career up to this point?
1: Yeah. So Sean, I come from a medical family and the philosophy that I'll we live to help others live longer has been engraved in, my, in genes and epigenes from very early on. So with that philosophy, I took uh, my career path and a lot of decisions became very clear. So th- my personal goal is how I can save as many lives as possible before I surrender mine. And with that, I trained myself in pharmacology. I studied at Rutgers University, where my whole career focus has been trying to bring new drugs to the clinic, new drugs and drug combinations to the clinic, and help cancer patients. So I spent some time at Rutgers. I was at National Institute of Health I National Cancer Institute. I spent my majority of time there and then moved to Genentech Roche, where I enjoyed learning about drug discovery and contributing to the drug discovery process at a pharmaceutical giant. And then moving on to start Agility Pharmaceuticals, which is a a drug discovery, big data, AI-driven and technology-driven drug discovery and development company.
0: So here's an Big data AI and all this technology for drug discovery, but can you give us a little bit of background about what big data is? Yeah,
1: so that's a very interesting question that you asked, Sean. So there are many definitions to it, right? <laughs> big data. So but the definition that I like is so the data sets and analytic techniques in applications that are so large. So from terabytes to zettabytes to exabytes and complex, from multi omics to sensor to social media data that they require advanced and unique data storage management, analysis, and visualization technologies. So two keywords, so large and complex that they require advanced data storage management, analysis, and visualization technology. So that is the, basically the definition of big data. So then how is big data used in healthcare? There are many sources of big data in healthcare and the applications. Big data can be used in various verticals in healthcare, including diagnostics, data, which is a data mining and analysis to identify causes of illness. And preventive medicine, which is predictive analysis and data analysis of genetic, lifestyle, and social circumstances to prevent disease. can be also utilized in precision medicine, which is leveraging aggregate data to drive hyper-personalized care. And also in medical research, big implications of big data, driven medical and pharmacological research to cure diseases and discover new treatment and medicines. And to reduce adverse drug events. So by harnessing big data and to spot medication errors and block potential adverse events that patient may have. And overall cost reduction by identification of value that drives better patient outcomes for long-term savings. And the last but not least, population health. Monitor big data to identify disease trends and health strategies based on demographic, uh, geography, and socioeconomics. So these are some of the areas where big data is being utilized right now.
0: So then what are some of the challenges associated with big data analytics? Yeah,
1: so what I call big data, since it's sheer huge, I call four Vs. You know, there are problems that can be summarized in four Vs. Volume, velocity, variety, validity. So volume, say I share with anybody are surprised with this fact that 90% of the data that we have collected in the history of data is in just past two years. We are just you know, collecting really, really massive amounts of data sets. So that's volume. So there's a sheer, very high volume. Number two is velocity. So data is being now literally being generated at the speed of light. It's doubling every 40 months. So that's just basically, we are just collecting too much data. And then that's not the case. The third V is variety. So coming from multiple sources, and this is most of the times it's unstructured. So coming from search data, social data, web-based behavior data, mobile data, crowdsourced data. So they're all unstructured data. And that brings us to the fourth, the reliability of the data is often in question because they are not really annotated well. They're unstructured. So. Yeah, so we are solving it by building algorithms who, that will deal both structured and unstructured data, and by generating more structured data with a lot of initiatives and studies that are being done to create more annotated structured data.
0: Can you just go over the difference between structured and unstructured data?
1: Yeah. So the structured data is when you have all the parameters are, are well-defined, like in a clinical trial. So you, you have, you're running a clinical trial, it's a controlled clinical trial, and then you have all the data very well defined, whereas unstructured data will be a data coming from your cell phone, coming from your social media, apps that are moderating your heart rate. There are a lot of variables that are missing. They're not controlled. It's just the data is being collected. So I think the best example would be we having a conversation versus somebody recording our conversation and kind of structuring different paragraphs, topics, and what was coming out of our conversation. Yeah, I think that's the best I could think of. But I think the clinical trial example is also a much easier way to describe it.
0: So what you're trying to say is the structured data is unstructured, but with parameters. You could take unstructured data and use machine learning or that to make it structured based on what you're looking for.
1: And one thing is that meta-analysis, suppose there are so many clinical trial data, clinical trials that were conducted, and we just collect all the data from all the clinical trials and then analyze it. But it, that becomes a meta-analysis. But then that data is actually unstructured in a certain way because there were all trials done in different. So there will be a lot of noise, actually, that we have to account for. Whereas the structured data could be just one gigantic clinical study like the US government is conducting all of us program where they are collecting lifestyle clinical genomics data from many patients, actually. And so this would be like a cohort of the structured data.
0: That's interesting. I didn't know the U.S. government was working on that right now.
1: There are more both private and public efforts in trying to create that structured data set, which will act as a reference point. Anybody is training the AI, what AI is hungry for is the structured data. And then once you train your AI, then we can feed information in it and then it can, once the reference is established, right, the new information can be fed. And then based on the reference, the new and the outputs can be achieved. So this is all the efforts are to generate the structured data.
0: Now you had mentioned AI, artificial intelligence. Can you talk a little bit about that, your definition, and also how does it compare to human intelligence?
1: That has been a topic of sheer debate and I think Hollywood had a lot of fun with it actually. So as a data scientist, I can give you a data scientist perspective. So AI is an aspect of human intelligence modeled by computers. So anything intelligent machines would do is closer to uh, human intelligence would be, is termed as artificial intelligence, actually. And machine learning is an aspect of artificial intelligence. It's uh, implementing aspects of AI through processing data, so that's which we discussed structured, unstructured data. And the deep learning is an aspect of machine learning. Which is modeling brain architectures with layers of individual classifiers, adding non-linearity. So this is when pictures in your social media post knows who Sean is. Also, the AI knows what is cat, what is dog, what is spaghetti. So that's deep learning. But you know, in medical field, we have used deep learning to identify diseases and analyze uh, radiology data sets and trying to identify what are the abnormalities in those scans. We have utilized that in the health field to our advantage. So then is. The field of big data and AI, are they converging? Yeah, I think, but before I go into, I, I think I didn't finish your second part. How is it compared with the human intelligence, right? This has been a topic of real interest in the media as well as in the scientific community. So the topic was in the cover page of Science, Newsweek, Nature, Time, National Geographic, Big Fortune. Newsweek called The AI Doctor Will See You Now. Nature called The Future of AI as a Future of Workforce. Time had it on a cover uh, you know, stating Artificial Intelligence is the Future of Mankind. And National Geographic called The Merging of Man and a Machine. And the fourth is a bionic age. So And Fortune called Humans Are Underrated in, when, it, when compared to Robots and AIs, actually. So this has been a very interesting debate. So if you put the two systems together, the artificial intelligence and human intelligence, Robots actually are AI. They have work at a fabulous speed. They operate 24-7. They have their own advantages and they are less biased actually and accurate. So whatever we program them, they will do that. Whereas humans, energy efficient, human body, especially human brain is one of the most energy efficient organs in human body. And we are universal multitasking, right? We could do, we don't need to be programmed to do one thing, but we can multitask and we have complex moments, right? Moments we can, a robot you will design to do one task but humans can do many things. You can tell them to bring coffee. Robots have to specially program to do that, actually. And guess what? We already have billions of them. So they're already scaled up, right? So, that's, so we don't have to worry about that problem. So in conclusion, AI can carry out certain tasks related to monotonous judgments much better than humans. That's what we are learning. However, humans are more energy efficient, multitasking, and are already scaled up.
0: I'm surprised that humans are more energy efficient. This
1: amazing. Human brain is, it uses the least amount of energy, actually. And of course, it's the organ that utilizes the most amount of energy out of any organs in your body. But overall, if you compare with the energy the machine uses versus what a human brain uses, it's just a very fractions of. And if we learn from just how human body manages to do that, I think the whole science of robotics and, you know, will advance to another
0: level. (laughs) So I guess the matrix was actually more scientific-based than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's the... (laughs) So then going back to how is big data and AI converging right now? The whole
1: field of data analytics began by... So when we started e-commerce, you know, the transaction data and rack-mounted infrastructure that we had, and we collected a lot of data as we did in analytics. So this is when... In the computing extract, transform, load ETLs, it came into a picture where we were copying data from multiple sources and systems and bringing it into a different context in another source that actually the destination system, which represented data entirely different from the source. We began to analyze the data and we started creating reports, charts. So then, that majority of that, so this is the evolution of data. So then, the field next was moved to how to generate business intelligence from data, right? And then, so we started collecting so much data, then we needed algorithms, which was beyond human abilities to analyze that, right? Beyond Excel sheets, although a lot of people still use that. Then we started designing complex algorithms, algorithms that did that analytics for us and gave that. So then we have that, actually that evolution led to, right now we have, automations, factory automation, robots, Siri, Alexa, now they're sitting all in our hands and our computers. These are user-driven big data models for machine learning. Now these machines are learning from our behavior. What they are doing is their next step is they are generating a machine intelligence. So they're becoming intelligent about our behavior. And the goal is to reach, reach machine consciousness, where machines will be conscious liken human being is garbage behavior and will much likely behave as individuals. So just to give you one example, the most famous example. So you know, AI has defeated major champions in, in games like Jeopardy and, and AlphaGo. AlphaGo was one of the product launched by Google. I think it defeated almost major champions, but one person still managed to defeat it. So what the Google team did, they Let AlphaGo learn to play the game of Go itself by simply playing against itself. So the algorithm started playing the game of Go by itself. Then the next generation of the product was launched and it achieved a superhuman performance. So when it was brought against the previously published champion defeating AlphaGo, the AlphaGo's, the newer version, defeated him by 100 to zero. That's why the name zero was coined Alpha Go Zero, because no human was able to defeat that program. The goal is that the machines, now the algorithm has played with itself and then learned to predict every move a human can make on that. So that's the machine consciousness. A lot of people believe that we are still in machine intelligence stage, but I strongly believe that the Alpha Go Zero example, we have already reached the machine consciousness, where machines have started to build a
0: consciousness towards our behaviors. So Dr. Prasoon, if right now the machines are at kind of a conscious level, is artificial intelligence, is that still even the right term or should it be called something else? Sean, this has been a debate
1: for like fifty years now since the field began. So I'm a big advocate of augmented intelligence. Still AI, but not artificial intelligence, but augmented intelligence. So in the field, historically, the artificial intelligence, which was called AI, and intelligent augmentation, which is called IA, or augmented intelligence. So this has been a debate. So the question is, are we designing these machines to have their own consciousness or operate by themselves? Or it's just we are... augmenting our own human intelligence. and human With a cell phone, we all became smarter. With the advent of GPS, we are now driving anywhere you want. You don't have to do your evening homework or where you're going. We are becoming smarter. So this is all augmented intelligence. So I think the name should be augmented intelligence. And what I believe is a symbiosis of humans and machines is the way to go, symbolically Iron Man. That's the future, but I think that would be That's what I personally believe, that it's not artificial intelligence. And I think the community will realize and we will start calling it augmented intelligence in the future.
0: So let's get back to medicine. What other areas of medicine will be affected by the advancements of big data, analytics, AI, and all technology?
1: So medicine, we are in the business of saving lives. It's an AI machine learning is a boon to medical field. So there are many fields that are currently being affected by advancements in AI and machine learning, robotics. One of the field is decision support in hospital monitoring. It's one of the major areas that needs a transformation. I'm hopeful that technology will do its job in advancing that. Also medical imaging. Medical imaging, we have seen great advancements. Diagnostics and precision medicine is another area where I think that advancements in AI and machine learning will play a role. And of course, drug discovery. There is a lot, drug discovery and development. There's a lot lot of intervention that we need in terms of data analytics and how
0: we can accelerate the field of drug discovery and development. I can't wait to go into more information on all those different fields you had mentioned. But before that, in the coming years of everything you mentioned, what excites you the most? I'm in drug discovery
1: and development. So that I have a bias towards that, but there are other areas like decision support and hospital monitoring. So when a patient goes to a doctor, provide a lot of electronic healthcare records, EHR, which is called. So the EHR market itself, so the revenues approach over 30 billion. This was the data generated in 2017. So this is a lot of activities happening. And IBM acquired Exploris. They also acquired Truven, multi-billion dollar advance EHR data analytics capabilities, Google was given access to healthcare data of up to 1.6 million patients in the UK. And we all know the Roche's acquisition of EHR company, Flatiron. And also VA and Cerner, they reached the contract that was over $10 billion. And Apple launched in 39 hospitals, Apple health records. And this is something that was announced that Amazon launched its medical transcription services. It's uh, called Transcribe Medical. So this is like an Alexa. We have Alexa with Amazon transcription service listening to the conversation between physicians and patients and trying to transcribe the records by itself. This intervention is needed because that will give physicians more time to talk physicians and spend quality time. And some other areas where... Now, deep learning algorithms can diagnose diabetic retinopathy, skin cancer, and other cancer lesions at par with physicians. Also I'm very excited about advancements of AI in interpreting radiology reports, which is almost 91% accuracy right now, which is almost at par with the physician. So these are some of the areas that I'm most excited about.
0: With all these corporations now entering the hospitals with their technology, if something goes wrong, so for example with that transcription software, if it's transcribed incorrectly, who's going to get the lawsuit? The doctor, the software engineer? Who's getting the blame?
1: Well, that's the question the field has, right? Not just a medical field, but the overall AI machine learning. So these are something that you know, we have to work with the regulators and the companies as a community to resolve. I think I can share with you some use cases and some of the learnings that field has done. Overall, when we are developing software doctors and healthcare systems are heavily involved so in development and approval of that software and medical device so they have to literally sign off right and so once the ai software is functional the developers can can insist on the end user agreement indemnify the developer against any claims misdiagnosis so this is the one way because you know it's already been approved by the medical community and U.S. FDA has already, begun it's an approval process of software as a medical device. The definition is softwares that are intended to be used for one or more medical purposes and that perform these purposes without being part of a hardware medical device. So that's as a software as a medical device. So that is being regulated by FDA. There's an interesting case in UK. So the in UK Consumer Rights Act, 2015, it contains inf- information relating to a digital content, including software. Basically, a user may seek remedy if a software is not satisfactory, is not fit for a particular purpose, or does not meet the description. So payers could recover damages by using a medical negligence claim. So AI, so what I'm trying to say is AI can just be another tool used by hospitals. And the error can be dealt under a medical negligence team with AI merely being a tool used by hospital. So these are just some thoughts. But you know, overall, as a community, we will need to develop ethics guidelines and industry standards that will reflect
0: benefits, risks, and limitations of AI-related products. How does the skill set of the health professionals change with the impact of all this new software?
1: There is ongoing debate. So it started with radiologists series of news reports that were published, and they argued that radiologists who will not use AI machine learning will be replaced by radiologists who will. And as our field advances, I think what some have even said that physicians who will lose, use AI machine learning and real-world data, real-world evidence-based approaches would be replaced by those who will not. So as we are becoming smarter, more intelligent by utilizing this the technology, advancements in technology, I think the healthcare is evolving to a next level. We all use a computer. If you have a computer 10 years back and you have a computer today, there is amazing difference. That's the same as a healthcare field. All the technologies, newer approaches, if a physician or a, just as an example, that's one notion that they may be replaced by those who do. But what I believe that if not replaced, but they will lose patients. For sure, to those who will use these tools. And I myself come from a background. So, your question regarding how it will impact the training. So, I come from a pharmacologist. So, I used to run my experiments with hundreds and hundreds of plates myself. So, the goal was to you know, plate cancer cells and try to plate different drugs in different concentrations and try to see what concentration kills and what drug responds and what doesn't respond. So I perfected this whole thing with my own hands and I I could generate perfect curves. I was really proud of it. And I trained even my students to do that. But then eventually what I realized that these all can be done by machines and these all can be automated. And that's how I evolved. So I moved to National Cancer Institute and I utilized uh, their high throughput, uh, you know, robotic arms and robotic automation systems to do all those experiments for and ran uh, one of the biggest national product libraries that's out there. Then I started analyzing data Then I focused doing something meaningful, right? But then eventually I was able to even automate the data analysis part. So now I get, the output that I get is data that is analyzed. So as a human, now I have advanced by just marrying technology, right? I have advanced my abilities. And in a week, I can run millions and millions of molecules, and I can analyze millions of data points, and I can make my decision what drug to move forward with or not. And as compared to 10 years back, or maybe more, yeah, so I think the whole field will evolve. I agree that we may need to train the next generation of workforce who will now do intelligent stuff and then who would be augmented by AI and machine learning. And we all will go to the next level of workforce. And we all have to put those efforts to train that workforce.
0: So you talked a little bit about how new drugs were made, at least that's kind of my impression there. What is the current drug discovery process and is there anything that could be changed in this process? The current drug discovery model is
1: broken because it takes $2.6 billion and and 10 to 15 years to bring a drug to market. And this has resulted in a low supply and high demand scenario. And that has led to prescription drug prices skyrocketing. The present drug discovery model is ill-equipped addressing biological warfare or disease outbreaks. So I think what we have to really invest in how we can streamline what are the processes where we could use AI machine learning uh, to accelerate those processes. So there are certain areas where we could make a difference. There is a whole understanding the biology part. AI machine learning can handle massive sets of data. There is also in medicinal chemistry, there is a lot can be done where currently the system is focused on creating their own molecules and testing with AI machine learning intervention. We can screen millions and millions of compounds that were never synthesized. And also the automation driven high throughput biology is an answer. Sometimes in a lab, humans make certain errors, but when we scale that biology, those errors will be all gone. There is no replacement for high throughput biology, so I pointed out these problems and these are the solutions, and that's how we are trying to resolve.
0: What about repurposing of drugs? I've heard of that term. Can you talk a little bit about that? Repurposing is interesting area. So basically, repurposing of
1: drugs means that you know there are already drugs that were approved for certain other indications. But can we use those drugs to treat some other diseases? And there are various ways to do that. So just to give you an example, there are ways to just to do a genomic profiling of your, suppose there is a cancer tumor, right? And then we can see what are the pathways that are affected. And based on that, there is a massive data sets of what pathways a drug's, different approved drugs hit, and we can match those pathways and then identify the drugs that would hit those pathways. And then... Those drugs are already approved, so can we use those drugs as an experimental drugs? And FDA has a path for the approval of those drugs. It's much faster. That's the repurposing the drug that are already approved because you know safety, efficacy, it already has been established because this is all drug that has already been in humans. So the, usually the repurposing clinical trials are small and test the efficacy
0: and have a sufficient data to get an approval. So when a virus mutates and it's resistant to the current drugs being used for it. And doctors have to come up with new medicines to treat it. Is there going to be a point in time where machine learning, AI is so advanced that they're able to predict the mutations of these viruses before they happen? That's the future. And we
1: have to keep up with all those mutations and not, not only just in viruses, but in the targets, in drug targets. You know, Overall, these are moving targets. Both viruses and drug targets are known to accumulate mutations. So, we are trying to inhibit a drug target. And what happens is that they try to somehow create a mutation that will knock off that inhibitor and let that target function again. There are a couple of ways they acquire resistance. That's one way. And then the second way is kind of activating an alternate pathway, and that will let them survive that inhibition. So, you know, what we have done is we have collected massive sets of data on kinases and on enzymes. And on viruses, and learn about with the crystallization data what are the changes that are driving in that binding site? What is the implication or structure function implication of that mutation and how we can inhibit that? So, I can give you an example of the viruses that are mutating with HIV. Best example we have, we know that what are the residues that are more prone to a mutation, and we have designed certain drugs that will not only target the, the virus itself, but also we can give them in combination in case they will mutate, right? So all these learnings will in future will be applied to build that pipeline of drugs that we can build. So the classic example was Gleevec. Glivac was an anti cancer drug that became like a poster child for precision medicine. And with that learning, now pharmaceutical industry is focused on developing they start working on the backup around the time they're trying to develop a new drug. So because as a pharmaceutical industry, the industry has to be competitive enough to launch those drugs and be ahead of their competitors. So this is now inbuilt in the pharmaceutical drug discovery platform to come up with alternative drugs and that target any mutations that will be in the target or in the virus.
0: So then what
1: are you working on right now, Dr. Prasun? At Agility, it's a technology-driven drug discovery company. And our goal is to accelerate the field of drug discovery by using technology, novel data analytics technique, big data, AI machine learning. So the goal is to reduce the time and cost associated with drug discovery and development by half. So that will be a big contribution if we can bring that so that half time and half the cost. So that's our you know major driving force. And what we have done is so we are very good in building models of diseases and trying to understand biology of the models by you know, sequencing, by multiomics. Just the genomics is not just an answer how we can understand the biology you know, in a multiomics function and integrate the in-house and publicly available des- databases for uh, drug discovery. So once we know the biology and we know the target, we can use the deep medicinal chemistry based approaches where we use deep learning algorithms to mine for better drug candidates. So from targets to better drug candidates. And, and here we can use millions of compounds that were never even being synthesized by using AI machine learning. So, but in the field, it's known that not all the targets that we identify are druggable. So then we also have a third arm where we use high throughput biology. So developing high in the advanced tools technologies in large scale biologies to study the disease biology. So you basically using high throughput screening methods to identify upstream or downstream effectors that we can target. If we cannot target the identified target, it's undruggable, we could identify downstream effectors to target and still able to inhibit that progression of that disease. So this three prong approach gives us an ability to inhibit any you know, drug target that we identify. So that's the in the future and the goal is To move from past, which was symptom-based medicine, to present, which is pattern-based medicine, to future, which is algorithm-based medicine. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to build integrated personal multi-omics signature and combining with imaging data that we have available and developing a personal molecular classifier. So once we have that personal molecular classifier, if a new patient comes in, we can take the data of the patient and then we can feed it in the personal molecular classifier. And we will know what drugs or drug combinations work for that patient. And then we can deliver that promise through digital health to the physician. And the physician will deliver the promise of precision medicine, which is right drug at the right time, right patient at the right time. So we started as a drug discovery company, very soon realized that we have to build a lot of algorithms and solutions to uh, solve several problems in drug discovery and development process. So we are now becoming also a solutions company. So, you know, the combination. So that's, where we are. that's how we are trying to make a difference in this field.
0: So you said precision medicine. Can you go into more detail about that and your opinion of it?
1: Yeah, so the precision medicine can be defined as an emerging approach for disease treatment and prevention that takes into account individual variability in genes, environment, and lifestyle for each person. So that's basically a definition of precision medicine. And the approach allows physicians and researchers to predict more accurately which treatment and prevention strategies for particular disease will work in what group of people. And in contrast to one-size-fits-all approach, in which disease treatment and prevention strategies are developed for an average person, and you know that there is no such thing as an average person, <laughs> so with a less consideration, so And then the whole approach is, uh, is, is kind of old approach and we have to change it with the precision medicine, which is the right drug for the right patient at the right time, accounts the individual variability in their genes, environment, lifestyle,
0: differences. So I have a question on kind of individuals, maybe this is related to precision medicine, but those companies that collect your saliva for DNA testing, how valuable is that information and what can be done with it in the future?
1: Basically, the companies that are collecting saliva, they're doing either genomics, right, or trying to get your information from your genome and match it to what is already known about that variation differences that you may have. And then they are giving out that information to you. And FDA has intervened into the whole process. So when you know, somebody is trying to say that they're trying to diagnose or treat a disease, they have to get an FDA approval. And there are certain tests that are approved by FDA. So that's the majority of them are trying to just get a information, genetic variation information in your genome and that what is being scientifically known, sometimes not all of those recommendations will come true. Like, you know, I have personally known that folks who had known to be prone to Alzheimer's, the disease never fathomed in their lifetime, at least, at least so for now. So you have to take everything as a, with a grain of salt and it's every individual is different. And a disease is a complex set of events occurring.
0: Together. So, hope that answers your question. Who's going to have access to all the patient data? Who's going to own the patient data in the future? That's the evolution that
1: we are going through now. As a healthcare field, data is a problem, data silos are a problem. And as a community, we are really struggling with how to get access to good data sets, how to get access to structured data, which is necessary to train AI. So, the overall healthcare field is moving towards a patient centric model. So if you ask me about in future who will own their data, I think patients will own their data. And what they will be able to do with that data, they will make the conscious decision of who they may or may not grant access to their data. And there will be also ways, in fact there are certain companies right now, they also provide a way to monetize that. And other companies like pharmaceutical companies and, and other diagnostics companies, they will be able to take advantage of. So, so they will be able to de identify that data and still be able to analyze without compromising patient privacy. So, yeah, I think in the future, patient will be the owner of the data.
0: What about any ethical issues that could arise from precision medicine or any of the different advancements of technology we talked about?
1: Always ethical issues related to precision medicine. One is being what I already spoke about, briefly touched upon, was data privacy. Data privacy has been one of the major concerns. And GINA genetic discrimination law was passed very early on to prevent Americans that will from this discrimination. So as we enter the next era of the technology and data analytics driven medicine, we have to also make sure that we are protecting the data privacy of a patient. And we are de-identifying most of the data that is being used to train our AI's machine learning algorithm. Then there is some social issue of what I talked about, the data silos. You know, there are sometimes so different institutions have their own data and data is, has become a currency right now. So everybody wants to hold on to that data. And there are very few platforms that would allow data sharing. And one of the focuses of American Association for Precision Medicine, which is an organization that is a nonprofit organization that I also lead. And that's one of the goals of the organization is to build the consortiums to solve this particular issue of data sharing.
0: And you'd mentioned American Association for Precision Medicine. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? American Association for Precision Medicine, or in short, AAPM,
1: its goal is to accelerate the field of precision medicine through research, education, communication, and collaboration to foster new medical breakthroughs. And our goal is to bring the four Ps of precision medicine together, the four Ps of being public health planners. That's Ie government providers hospitals uh, physicians that's providers payers in the insurance uh, insurance companies and patients most important P of the four P's together to bring together to facilitate the dialogue between these to achieve the goal of delivering improved outcomes in the field of precision medicine. AAPM. So we have uh, several initiatives, and you know you can read it on uh, AAPM which is uh, our website. So we not only organize meetings, trainings, you know symposiums, conferences, but also through those interactions we identify problem areas where we can add value and build solutions in partnership with the stakeholders to accelerate the field of precision medicine. And we are in a planning of APM Innovation Center, which will serve as a catalyst in the digital transformation of the healthcare industry.
0: So you had mentioned cancer right there. Should we expect any major breakthroughs in maybe 2020 or in the close years to come? I think we all
1: have to work as a community to catalyze those. We are losing so many loved ones to cancer. And I personally lost my elder sister to pancreatic cancer. And when she was diagnosed, my research was focused on pancreatic cancer. I knew that how resistant this cancer is. The tumors are really rock solid. Nothing, no drug enters those. I knew that we couldn't, we will not be able to save her. And eventually we lost her. You know, that has impacted me personally. I am now on this mission to see how we can work as a community to bring prevention and possibly drugs that will cure. And we have seen a lot of, so the cure word in cancer field was not being used until the advent of cancer immunotherapy, where some of the patients have right now seen complete remissions and they have been, you know, they are surviving for often up to more than four, five, six years since the field has been out there. So we are seeing complete remissions and complete core cures in the medical field. And as a community, we are all there to catalyze that, that change to build the pipeline of drugs that will
0: eradicate this disease that we call cancer. If anyone wants to find out more information about yourself, what you're working on, what's the best way to go about it?
1: AAPM.health this is a website. And you can reach out to me directly by email. My personal email is jprasoonmishra at gmail.com. Again, it's
0: jprasoonmishra
1: at gmail.com. Happy to answer any questions.
0: Great. We'll have those links in the show notes. And once again, Dr. Prasoon, thank you for spending the time today to be on Silicon Valley. I also want to thank Atul, who is the gentleman that made the introduction to us originally, who allowed this interview to happen. I'll have his contact in the show notes as well. And stay tuned, everyone, for next week where we're also going to have a, another exciting guest to bring you what's happening here in Silicon Valley. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for listening to the Silicon Valley Podcast. To access our resources, visit us at thesiliconvalleypodcast.com and follow our host on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Sean Flynn SV. This show is for entertainment purposes only and is licensed by the Investors Podcast Network. Before making any decisions, consult a professional.